0: Pantry Studio Production. The following may contain strong language and deals with adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Have you ever had an encounter or experience with a ghost? Do even believe in this kind of thing some people believe in spirits and others simply don't according to a cbs news poll nearly half of americans say that they do believe or that spirits can return in certain places and situations maybe a sudden or violent death led to unrest or maybe it's unfinished business whatever their reasons if they do return many speculate that they are trying to get some kind of a message across this mountain mystery is about what many people in Logan, West Virginia and many surrounding areas believe is just that. The ghost of a woman that still wanders a small country back road where her body was found nearly a century ago. Some say that she's looking for justice after her murder in 1932 and that she's so adamant that she'll actually push her car back up the hill towards where her earthly remains were discovered. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Episode 2, The Ghost of 22 Mine Road, The Mountain Mystery of Mamie Thurman. I will
1: be the last to fall, I won't shed a tear for them to see. There are over 1.9 billion square acres in the United States alone, and 24% of those are mountainous. The secrets that these regions hold are enormous reports of mysterious creatures, strange sightings and sounds, ghosts and murders, and those who have seemingly vanished. They are questions that need asking, and answers worth finding. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Here's Chris Sloan.
0: 22 Mine Road in quiet Logan, West Virginia has converted a lot of doubters into believers and strengthened the resolve of the belief in other people. Legends and rumors have it that the apparition of Mamie Thurman, a young Logan socialite viciously murdered there, still roams that small country back road in the heart of the Appalachians, just off Highway US 119 in Logan County. But who was Mamie Thurman? Who killed her? And why? Born September 12, 1900 in Louisville, Kentucky, as Mamie Morrison to her father George A. Morrison and an unknown mother. Mamie married Jack Thurman around 1920 and moved to Logan from Bradfordsville, Kentucky around 1924. Now that was at the height of the Roaring Twenties when money, speakeasy liquor, and a lot of other things were flowing a lot more freely. Prohibition had already begun January 17, 1920, and it was well underway not seeing its end until December 5th, 1933. Getting a drink back in those days legally wasn't really an option, but of course, that didn't stop those who wanted a drink. Then, like now, money could get you just about anything you wanted. Jack Thurman found work when he and Maeby came to Logan as a cop on the graveyard shift from six at night till six in the morning. That was in no small part thanks to a man named Harry Robertson, who was the president of the Logan City Commission, and worked as a bookkeeper at the Guyon Valley Bank, which was also known as the Old Stone Bank. Remember that name because you're going to hear it over and again quite a bit. Jack and Mamie moved into a small two-room apartment above the garage of Harry Robertson and his wife Louise in their backyard. Before the Depression hit, after the stock market crash of 29, Logan, West Virginia was the center of trade for coal and timber, So this place was a practical boomtown. Money and favors flowed freely in the small place, but nothing or nowhere was safe from the holds of the Great Depression. Now I couldn't find a lot about either Jack or Mamie before moving to Logan, but I can only speculate that either she hit things really well or she just hadn't come out of that shell of hers, so to speak. With Jack being in the police force and having developed a solid rapport and friendship with Harry, Well, this put Jack and Mamie in the throes of Logan's social exclusives. People who had powerful political connections, coal barons, plus a lot of bankers, lenders, and people who oversaw Logan's money matters in the day for both the county and the city. Well, Mamie was known to be very smart and kind of quiet, and also she was active in the Logan community, especially the church and business matters. But she had another side to her that she managed to keep hidden from almost everyone, save for a few. She was a lively person, as they called it back then, who apparently said to hell with being conservative. She wore bright red lipstick, tons of makeup, and very snug form-fitting dresses. And she was a looker. As they say today, a hottie. Now while all this sounds tame by the standards of 2021, remember this was all going down in the early 1930s, that's when a fart and the wind was scandalous. In a 1985 article written by Dwight Williamson, Williamson declared Mamie Thurman as a Depression-era version of an 80s liberated woman. Many and Logan called her the vixen of Stratton Street and a temptress. It was around 1930 that Mamie began the affair with Harry Robertson and they both managed to keep this pretty low-key for about two years. And neither his wife, Louise, or her husband, Jack, suspected a thing. Many didn't suspect much of anything either, or so they say, but I can't help but think that there were those who had to have an idea of what was going on. Look, Logan was not a metropolitan area. It's rural Appalachia, it's rural America. And then the population was just a little over 4,300 people according to the census records. Logan had a highly secretive social club with a speakeasy sense that some called the Amen Club. Wonder how that got its name. Now, this was located on the upper floors of the Holland Building on Stratton Avenue. While there, Robertson and Mamie rubbed elbows with Logan's upper echelon, as well as their wives, girlfriends, and hell, sometimes even both. At the time, her husband was at work walking the beats as a cop. His wife was often seen with Harry Robertson and maybe even a few others. 16 she claimed, in fact, that were all higher-up and powerful members of Logan's society. Now, it was said that she kept a list of all of their names also, but nearly nine decades later, as far as we know, that list has never been seen. That alone would give me 16 different suspects with enough reason to commit the murder. But Logan was said to have had a lot of crooked politicians and power structure back then, Jack Thurman later said that he assumed his wife Mamie was at home those nights while he was at work. Well, he missed the ball on that call. The Logan Banner actually said that it was pitiful, that comment. Now, the A-Man Club wasn't the only place that Mamie and Harry went to play. On many occasions, it's reported that they were driven by Clarence Stevenson to isolated lovers' lanes in the county. Now, Clarence Stevenson was a 29-year-old black man from Chattanooga, Tennessee who had been in Logan for about nine years at this point. And he was well known to be Harry Robertson's handyman, servant, and according to Harry himself, his friend. In early 1932, Stevenson moved into the Robertson's attic and made a home there. He was often known to chauffeur Harry Robertson around and take care of his dogs while Harry hunted. Seems that old Harry was a pretty avid sportsman. And by all accounts, they were indeed good friends. Apparently, Clarence thought a lot of Harry's friendship, answering to many of his beck and calls and always calling him Mr. Harry. Now, the Robertson-Thurman affair was kept on the down low for about two years, like we said, until Harry Robertson's wife, Louise, found out about it. And how she did that beats the hell out of me. It's been lost to time. But she did not leave him. At first, I was kind of shocked by that, and then it hit me. You're talking about 1932 here. That's when marriage meant a lot more than apparently it does today. But it is said that she tried to talk Harry out of the thing. Now, when that didn't work, Louise cut all friendly ties with Mamie and Jack. Okay, that could be motive for murder. A man's wife finds out that her husband is cheating with the tenant that their housing well that could lead to problems june 22nd 1932 robertson and thurman had planned another meeting that evening and for whatever reason the get-together was just called off and robertson's the one that called it off sometime during those evening hours though harry he got a nasty little itch under his skin because he knew he wasn't the only rooster in the hen house he knew mamie was involved with well apparently at least 16 other guys according to her Now, it was stated that Mamie had given him this so-called list of 16 about a year before her death when they both worked at the bank together. Robertson sends Stevenson out, telling Clarence to keep an eye out for Mamie. But, oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't the kind of, oh, watch out for her, make sure she's safe sort of thing. Not at all. What it was was, watch that slut, tell me what she's doing and who she's doing it with and where she's going. Yeah, it was that kind of thing. Stevenson watched Mamie leave her apartment sometime around 7 o'clock in the evening and start walking down Main Street. Now, it was then that Robertson told Stevenson to drive to where Finette Jones lived. Now, Finette ran a boarding house on High Street. This was a pretty popular meeting place for Robinson and Thurman. But Stevenson said that he had checked the Jones place and didn't find so much as a sign of Mamie. Robertson then told Stevenson to keep an eye out for Mamie around the social club. So, at about 9 o'clock that evening, Harry went to join his son at the Smokehouse, a small restaurant in Logan, to listen to the radio broadcast of the Schnelling vs. Sharkey heavyweight fight. Stevenson is have to remained there looking for Mamie outside the club from somewhere around 10.45 to 11.15, so he was there for about a half an hour. But according to him, he never saw her. Now, it was shortly after this, the Stevensons came home. So Harry and his wife get ready for bed. Clarence goes on upstairs to the attic and gets settled in. And shortly thereafter that, the Stevensons turn in right behind him. Not six hours later, Jack Thurman came home and Mamie was nowhere to be found. And as you can imagine, he was frantic. So at this point, he starts calling everyone he knows. And one of the first calls he makes is to Harry Robertson. Now, offering to help, Clarence Stevenson began driving Jack Thurman around Logan and the surrounding area, but they couldn't find so much as a sign of his wife to be found. Mamie was apparently vanished in the wind. Jack Thurman was completely unacquainted with the events that at that moment were happening eight miles to the south.
1: If you are an audiobook fan, you're going to want to hear After Midnight by Joseph Rubas, available now where audiobooks are sold. 22 tales of horror that will transport you into the world of darkness and fear. A dim, shadowy netherworld just beyond the veil, just past the threshold, after midnight. The master of horror, William H. Pugmire, said of the collection, One thing I want in weird fiction is that it be freaking weird. In this regard, Joseph Rubas succeeds brilliantly. From the night city of Vegas to the haunt of resurrected poets, this collection leads us to those regions of the outsider in stories one will not easily forget. Here is a sample. Warning. Discretion is advised due to language and extremely graphic description. We do not advise young children to hear this.
0: The Dark Works of Justin Delacroix. No one would say that Justin Delacroix was sane, at least, not anyone normal. The man was a pervert. All you have to do is look at his artwork to know that. Sure, the hippies and radical yippies were enamored with his The Minister which depicted a pastor in a sunlit office receiving oral sex from a choir girl. But they recoiled at the counterculture in which demons with picket signs and shaggy hair crowded a city street and were further scandalized by April 4. Only a despicable creature would paint a hallowed James Earl Ray slaying a horned and fanged Martin Luther King as the glorious light of heaven shines down upon skull-faced Nazi soldiers and a despicable creature Justin Delacroix was. I had the misfortune of knowing him firsthand. I was a young art major at Mary Washington College in Fredericksburg when I met him at a party on campus. It was the spring of 1968, and Delacroix, in theory, was a fascinating figure. In practice, he was, to be blunt, a creep. When I was introduced to him, He was sitting on a couch in a darkened corner, a fat doobie hanging from his thin lips. He wore all black, even his John Lennon glasses were the color of pitch, and grinned evilly as I shook his hand. It was cold and bony, as if he were nothing but a cadaver. The air around him was thick with ungodliness, and after only ten minutes in his presence, my stomach and head were reeling. I cannot exactly remember what we said to each other but I remember being alternately appalled and fascinated. The man was terrible, but his dark whispers, theories, and views were strangely intriguing. So intrigued was I that I accepted Delacroix's invitation to tour his studio the following Friday. All that week, I anticipated the meeting. Delacroix's loft was along the Rappahannock in an otherwise abandoned building on a miller's street. He welcomed me with that same evil smirk that led me to his studio, which sat in a small corner of the vast and dust-coated basement. I didn't realize that he was speaking to me until he laughed. A high, hyena-like titter. Something about you, Burton. I feel that I can show you my true work. These words sent a pain of exhilarated revulsion into my soul. He was going to show me his true work? What does that consist of? In a word, bodies, brown, gray, decomposing corpses arranged in the most gruesome positions. There, near the ancient boiler, was a decaying thing, man or woman I couldn't tell, bent before another. The act simulated was sexual and unconsecrated. And then here, Close to a boarded-over window was a child-sized mummy holding a spoiled fetus, a look of otherworldly hunger on the former's face. The only light in the dank, unhallowed chambers spilled weakly from a desk lamp, but I could sense more of them nonetheless. They were everywhere, all around me, like an army of the walking dead.
1: Get After Midnight by Joseph Rubas Now, where audiobooks are sold.
0: Around 1 p.m. on Wednesday, June 22nd, 1932, Garland Davis, a 37-year-old deaf mute, was picking berries along 22 Mine Road, or 22 Mountain as it was known then. There, near the top of the hill and about 25 feet from the side of the road to the left, Davis happened to cross the dead body of Mamie Thurman. Her throat had been slashed from ear to ear. She had two 38 caliber gunshot wounds to the head. Davis got a hold of authorities. West Virginia Troopers C.B. Satterfield and C.A. Thompson from the Stallings Detachment of the State Police Post responded. They were also joined by the Logan City Police and Logan County Sheriff's deputies. She still had her diamond engagement ring and wedding ring on, as well as close to $9 in her purse, which is the equivalent of around $172 in 2021. She also had a pack of cigarettes and a worn case knife. It was at first thought that this was the weapon used to cut Mamie's throat and also a slip of paper was found on her person said to contain a license plate number. Chief of Logan Police Mead Smeltzer identified the body and made positive identification stating that he knew her personally. A warrant was sworn out the same day that her body was discovered by Magistrate Elba Hatfield and Robertson and Stevenson were arrested around 8.30 that evening and taken to the Logan Jail for questioning. Robertson admitted to having an affair with Mamie and said that he would tell his wife he was going fox hunting when in reality he was meeting with her. Thurman's body was then taken to what was at that time named the Harris Funeral Home. Today the building and funeral home still stand there, under the name of the Honaker Funeral Home. It was not uncommon then for the funeral directors to conduct the autopsy And it was concluded that Mamie's throat was more than likely cut before the gunshots were fired, and that was the cause of death. Now, it was determined that she died sometime between 6 o'clock in the evening on the 21st of June and 8 the next morning on the 22nd, so who had the motive to kill Mamie? There were many people in Logan that wanted to see Mamie dead more than likely, including a dozen or so of the wives of the lovers she was said to have had. Then, of course, there was the possibility of her husband, Jack, a scorned husband, but he was quickly ruled out because he was seen at the time of the murders and his whereabouts could be accounted for. However, it was reported that earlier that day, Mamie and Jack had the worst fight in their marriage up to that point, and she is said to have told him that she had an affair with the mayor of Logan at that time and was carrying his child. It's said that Jack crumpled to the floor and cried like a three-year-old while she walked out on him, headed towards the mayor's office. Further talk states that once she had arrived, she told the mayor that she was carrying his child, and he absolutely went off the deep end, exploding in anger, slapping her in the face, and telling her that she was a damned fool to think that he'd give up his wife's money and his position for a child that probably wasn't even his. It's said that Mamie, through tear-filled eyes, told him he would regret what he had done to her as she stormed out of his office, slamming the door in her wake. Another possibility and theory goes that the KKK was involved in it. They were active in the region at the time and may have wanted to make an example of a young white woman who was said to have possibly been gifting sexual favors to a black man. Then there were groups like the so-called List of Sixteen, The 16 men Mamie is said to have listed that she was intimately involved with, some even suspected bootleggers or cocaine dealers. It seemed those with motives were everywhere, and I'm not certain anyone alibied out. I'm not even sure that they would have to, given the fact that Mamie had a list of men that she had been intimate with, and apparently, they were all powerful with ties and connections, the kind of people that can make problems or threatening situations disappear. Mamie's funeral was held Friday, June 24th at the Knightbert Methodist Memorial Church in Logan, West Virginia, where it's said Mamie was a member, but the church apparently has no records to indicate her membership. This had to have been one of the strangest funerals ever held for anyone. Pastor Reverend B.C. Gamble and Reverend R. Caverley officiated. Now Gamble did not deliver a sermon. Rather, he read from the book of John about an adulteress who was brought before Jesus expecting to be stoned. Jesus told them, Let he who is without sin cast the first stone, after which all the accusers left. Jesus did not condemn the young woman, but told her to go and sin no more. Gamble then stated, Develop your own sermon on that basis. Those words were followed by dead silence in the church and weeping ensued. Mamie's obituary was read, and the service was concluded. It was attended by 550 women and 30 men. West Virginia state troopers made their way to the Thurman's residence the day of the funeral and conducted another search in the Robertson home and found several bloodstained rags in the basement. Efforts have been made to remove stains from the basement floor that were thought to be human blood, but at that time, the court refused to enter blood tests into evidence. Yeah. A Charleston chemist named T.A. Bordelli later identified those stains as human blood. Of course, this was long, I mean decades before DNA. But a razor was also found in the home, and they discovered what appeared to be a bullet hole in the basement wall of the Robertson home. Further searching found more blood stains on the window, seat, and fender of Robertson's car. The back seat had been removed and a 6-by-8-foot tarp placed over the back portion of the car's front seats. The car was mostly used to transport the hunting dogs when Robertson went fox hunting on 22 Mountain where he owned a cabin. Mamie's body was found about a mile from that cabin. With a tense atmosphere in the town, county, and surrounding areas over a white woman possibly being murdered by a black man or that a black man had anything remotely to do with her, In a move out of a Cloak and Dagger novel, Stevenson was transported under the cover of darkness to next door Mingo County in Williamson, where he stayed in jail until the trial began. And obviously worried Stevenson wrote a letter to his sister, Josie Carpenter. In that letter, he asked his sister to take that letter to Louise Robertson. In the letter, he stated that he would not do anything to hurt either her or Mr. Harry, and asked Louise to stand up for them both in court, and that they needed her now worse than ever. Prosecutor Emmett F. Skaggs was under pressure to produce results, of course, but if this guy was concerned about public opinion, he sure didn't show it. He said that he wasn't going to drag people into this thing for the purpose of getting even with them just to satisfy curiosity seekers. He further alluded that there were more than likely plenty of people in and around the city and county that knew a hell of a lot more than that there were telling. But due to the fact that so many of those involved were powerful, most people kept a common knowledge to themselves because they did not want to get involved for fear of spite and revengeful motives, a mindset that still exists in many places to this day. Now, there was this guy named Oscar Townsend. He also rented a room from Harry Robertson in their house and worked with him at the bank. In interviews, he stated that Mrs. Robertson had ill feelings towards Mamie Thurman over the affair that Harry and Mamie had. Townsend also informed police that he had traded a 32 caliber pistol to Harry Robertson for a 38 caliber. The same caliber as the two bullets found in Mamie's head. Further investigation into Robertson's Ford sedan revealed a blood clot under the rubber floor mat. It looked as though an attempt had been made to wash the car, but the blood clot had clung to the floor mat of the vehicle. On July 25th, 1932, it was standing room only in the Logan County Courthouse. Many had started lining up at six in the morning in the courtroom and it was packed beyond capacity as the people wanted to see the preliminary hearing of Harry Robertson and Clarence Stevenson. Many people brought packed lunches and their own chairs. It was on this morning that Jack Thurman showed up at 10 a.m. sharp. He was pale, but seemed composed as he made his way over to Attorney Hatfield. Fifteen minutes later, Robertson and Stevenson were brought in under guard of the West Virginia State Troopers, Satterfield and Thompson. Stevenson was cuffed. Robertson was not. Stevenson appeared calm and almost resolute while Robertson appeared nervous, constantly wetting his lips. It was around 10.35 that Harry's wife was escorted into the courthouse by Oscar Townsend. She walked over gingerly to her husband, kissed him on the cheek, and had a very quiet conversation with him for about 10 minutes. Judge Estep and C.C. Chambers, attorneys for Robertson and Stevenson, sat at one end of the table, while prosecutors Hager and Skaggs sat at the other. A lot of Logan County prominent citizens, some of which were associated with Harry Stevenson, served on the grand jury. When Harry Robertson took the stand, people were absolutely in shock because this guy held back nothing. He held no secrets in the description of the affair that went on for nearly two years with Mamie. He spoke of how he often met Mamie at a place called the Key Club. Located in Logan, if Robertson's testimony was to be believed, the club was frequented by several well-known businessmen and their lady friends. Apparently, both men and women alike held a pass key, and Robertson testified that drinking parties, illicit affairs, and strange unions of all sorts took place at this club, which was also known as the Social Club and the Logan Businessmen's Club. Robertson claimed that Mamie had given him the list of the 16 men she was supposed to be having affairs with about a year previous to her death, when they both worked at the Guyon Valley Bank, stating that one of the men were dead, and all but three lived in the city, and all but one were married. Now, there had been vigilante actions considered against Clarence Stevenson, because not only of his color, but the rumors of his sexual encounters with Thurman as well. Robertson, however, testified that Clarence never had that kind of relationship with Mamie. When Stevenson testified at the trial, he spoke of the state police moving him to Williamson from the Logan Jail that night, under cover of darkness. They went the way of a place called Pigeon Roost over isolated Trace Mountain, which is now called 22 Mine Road. Two cars were parked alongside the road and shots were fired in their direction. According to Stevenson, the state troopers indicated they thought it was the mob and asked if he were scared, urging him to tell them all he knew, or it was likely he'd be taken off. Stevenson replied that if he were making a dying statement, it would be that, quote, I don't know any more than I've told, end quote. At one point during the proceedings, and you're going to want to hear this especially, Mr. Stevenson pointed toward the courtroom as if he were scared out of his mind, but he wouldn't say what he saw. The prosecution asked him, What do you see? Mrs. Thurman? Stevenson refused to answer. On September 15, 1932, the Logan Banner newspaper headlines rang out, Harry Robinson not indicted. Clarence Stevenson, however? Oh, he was indicted, and was stand trial for the murder of Mamie Thurman. According to the Logan Banner, witnesses at the trial accounted for every minute of Clarence Stevenson's time up until 11 o'clock on the night of June twenty-second, when Mrs. Robinson said that he went up to his attic bedroom. Despite this fact, however, the jury was only out for 50 minutes before returning with a guilty verdict with a recommendation of mercy, which carried a life sentence. Stevenson's attorney immediately entered a motion for a new trial. On November 15th, pleas from the Logan County branch of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP, went across the county to raise the $6,000 needed for the appeal. 56 churches in Logan began taking donations. More than 3,000 people attended a mass meeting held at Aracoma High School, with both whites and blacks attending. Despite all the efforts, the Supreme Court turned down Stevenson's appeal in 1933. Stevenson was sent to the notorious Moundsville prison on August 22, 1934. On June 11, 1939, he was transferred to a much lighter prison, a medium-security prison, Hutton'sville Prison Farm, where he died of stomach carcinoma on April 24, 1942. He was buried on the prison farm May 2nd, 1942, almost 10 years after the death of Mamie Thurman. Norman Sloan, a Logan County resident who spent time in jail and prison with Clarence Davidson, said, he told me, that he was hired to take the body to 22 Mountain, and that he did not have anything to do with the death of Mamie Thurman. He never did say who killed her, but he said that he did not do it. Stevenson told me it was all politics. In 1983, Mamie's half-brother, George Morrison Jr., an assistant district attorney in New Mexico, returned to Logan to try to find out what happened to her and to purchase a headstone for her grave but he never found her grave. In Mamie Thurman's death certificate filed at the courthouse, it states that she was buried at Logan Memorial Park in McConnell, West Virginia. Other records show that her body was transported to Bradfordsville, Kentucky. It remains a mystery to this day just where Mamie Thurman was buried. Some speculate that $1,000 was paid to have her exhumed and hidden so no further investigation of the body can be conducted but no one knows by whom exactly. Morrison Jr. concluded in his own book, Ghost of 22 Mountain, a fictional account of the story based on facts that Clarence Stevenson was not guilty. One of the scenarios Morrison proposed in his book was that Mamie may have had an illegal abortion that was botched. The bullets and other injuries were a ruse to cover up the procedure that had gone horribly wrong based on Morrison's conjecture. Morrison also proposed Stevenson may have tried to get rid of the body for the doctor. Now, a lot of historians also raise suspicions about Mamie's husband, Jack. They said that he had to have at least some knowledge of at least some of her activities with these other men. But Jack Thurman testified that he didn't. There were also those who believed that it could have been one of the 16 men on the infamous list of 16, or... Maybe a jealous wife. In any case, if you're ever in the area of Logan, West Virginia, near Holden specifically, near 22 Mine Road, stop by and say hello and talk to me. Just be warned. You may not want to pick up any hitchhikers. may not be a good idea. Then again, who's to say that she just won't up and vanish on you? Or maybe you'll hear Mamie. Several people have reported to see her hitchhiking and hear her screams on 22 Mine Road, where to this day it's said she still resides. Next week on The Mountain Mysteries, Episode 3, Terror in the Skies, The Mountain Mystery of the Mothman of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Until then, Stay mysterious.
1: If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support The Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more.